from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 221. Today's show is brought to you by Simple Contacts, Lunar Display, PDF Pen, and Hollow. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. From my garage. This is me. Hi, Hello, Mike. Jason. It's Cyber Monday today, so uh, everyone's going to get 25% more upgrade because. <laughs> We're going to, for the same, low, low price of regular upgrade, because we're going to be doing My Neighbor Totoro at the end of today's episode as we re- welcome back Mike at the Movies. Yay. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. So it's like one of those uh, plastic bottles that gets a little bit larger, and they, mm-hmm. and they put a thing on the side that says 25% more than other bottles that are smaller than this one, that kind of thing. That's what we have today. But we do have our hashtag Snell Talk question, and this one comes from Jared. And Jared wants to know, Jason, what is your opinion on Christmas music? When should it start to be played, and do you have some favorites? Uh, I appreciate this question. The uh, opinion about Christmas music. So I believe, as, a, as an American, I think that one of the great things about Thanksgiving, which we just had on Thursday, and my kids were out of school all last week, and it was a pretty light week. It was nice, and I'm back to work today. Um, I love Thanksgiving not only because I think it's actually a very nice holiday and the idea that it is about reflection and thinking about what you're thankful for and it's an opportunity for families to get together and um, and, every base, and it's also for everybody in America. It's not uh, based on any particular like religious background or anything like that. It is for everybody. So I like that. Um, it also is a really good backstop. I mean, it's leaky. It's leaky these days. I'm not going to lie. But mm-hmm. I feel like when I was flying back from Ool a couple of years ago, I was in the Dublin airport and um it was like october 27th or something and there was christmas stuff everywhere Mm -hmm. and i thought oh my god why is all this christmas stuff out and i said oh you know they don't have a thanksgiving to act as like a wall nope because i am a believer in the like i have some great holiday playlists uh, that i really like um but i don't listen to them until after thanksgiving so i so like now that it's after thanksgiving which is always the uh, what is it? The fourth Thursday in November. Um, now, now we can break it. And now we're talking about when are we going to go get a Christmas tree? Get out the get, a, get out all the decorations and stuff like that. So we're we're getting there. We're getting there. So that's my my official policy. Thanks for asking about when Christmas things start to happen. At least here in 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 uh, England, do they just break out the Christmas stuff like November first? October 10th? Are you talking in retail? Because retail, it's like it was happening before Halloween in places. Yeah. Like, yeah, was, just like the Dublin it airport. Getting, it was, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It was getting pretty serious, which is frustrating, I think. I mean, I would prefer to wait until like we're about a month away. That kind of feels like the way to do it for me. But, you know, retail's going to retail, Jason. Retail is going to retail. Um, what what can you do? They're, they're, I don't blame them, right? They make a lot of money at it. Mm-hmm. So that's what they're going to do. Do you have a favorite? I will, uh, I will give everybody a link that we can put in the show notes to a piece that I have written a couple of times, once at Macworld, but more recently at Six Colors, with this uh, kind of geeky holiday music that I uh, playlist that I built. Um, uh, in terms of traditional... I, you know, I really like uh, the Christmas song, the Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire, Nat King Cole. I like that one a lot. Um, Otanenbaum is fun, especially there's a They Might Be Giants version that's in that's in the original German, which is fun. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's but in terms of uh, of what I would sort of say, kind of old school, 
I would go with uh, I would go with a Christmas song, which isn't that old school, but that's the one that I I think I think is the is the favorite. If you would like to send in a question to open an episode, just send in a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk, and it may be picked for future use. Thank you to Jared for that great question. Um, UpgradeYourWardrobe.com is where you can go right now to buy Upgrade merch. We have merch items available just until December the 4th. I want to thank everybody. We both would like to thank everybody who has bought one of our wonderful Dongletown t-shirts so far. They seem to have been received very warmly. Um, So I recommend that people go and get those. We have Dongletown tees in blue and orange. We have a very limited stock left of the Upgrade logo enamel pin. Um, And then you can also buy a hoodie or a regular Upgrade logo t-shirt if you would like to. Um, You can also follow at underscore Upgrade FM on Twitter because we've been giving away some free codes, which we're going to keep doing over the next week. So you might be able to nag yourself a free T-shirt there. But we would love it if you uh, if you have the means and desire that you would want to purchase any of our merchandise right now, uh, that you would go and do that. We would we would love that. Um, so you can go to upgradeyourwardrobe.com and you can you can go ahead and buy some of our wonderful merchandise. Yeah, and you can also uh, go to uh, theincomparable.com slash shirt. And I've got a bunch of uh, incomparable and six-color stuff available over there, too. Hat, sweatshirt, other good stuff. Wonderful. So you can go and check those out. Put them in the same shopping cart. Yeah, with pins. Got to get all the great pins. Uh-huh. You know, there's lots of great stuff available right now. Um, but you can you can go and buy those uh, if you would like. Talking about dongles, we have some dongle-related follow-up today. <laughs> so yes. uh, on the last episode, we were trying to work out when it was that we first mentioned Dongle Town. And I proposed that it was on episode 114, but I couldn't find it. Um, good friend of the show, underscore David Smith, did two things. One, confirmed that it was on episode 114, was the first time that Dongle Town was mentioned on Upgrade. But also, what's more... For a reason that I don't know why he did it, but I love that he did. David has compiled a supercut of every single time me and you have said the word dongle over the first 220 episodes of Upgrade. It is a five-minute audio file that you can go and get, uh, which I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, so you can listen to it. It includes a little bit of context for every time that we say it. But if you just want to hear me and Jason saying dongles, dongles, dongles over, over and over and again, over again. Uh, you can go and, and check out the All the Great Dongles uh, <laughs> link uh, if you want that. And thank you to Underscore mm. for doing that. So that's there. I also wanted to mention uh, we got a great uh, piece of dongle fan art from Ian on Twitter. It's uh, the... UK tourism poster for Dongleton on Sea, the beautiful seaside town, which I mm-hmm. love so much. It is the British seaside town of Dongleton on Sea, um, and it's it is our it's a tour, tourism poster. So I really love this a lot. Actually, Dongleton on Sea is a much a much nicer thought for me than just Dongleton. It's, it's good. This yes. is a, this yes. is a very frequent thing in British seaside towns. It's something on sea. Well, and it's USB C, right? So it's the Dongleton on Sea. Is perfect, oh so. my gosh, I did not get that. Oh yeah, that's li- listener Ian. Uh, yeah, p- perhaps that should be on on USB C. So that's where it is. Wow. So if you're if summering in uh, in England, uh, go to Dunkleton on Sea. What a beautiful place it would be. It's the price of admission is a little high, but yeah. Uh, well, all the hotels have these strange um, uh, 
strange power plug, so you have to bring mm-hmm. an adapter. <laughs> yeah, funnily enough, you even have to bring your own adapters when you visit Dongleton. <laughs> yeah. All right, so do you remember on the last episode we were talking about the tragic wildfires and the, the terrible in, in California and the terrible air quality? And you, Jason, posted the question of, I wonder what Apple Park's doing considering they have the natural ventilation system, right, where right. it brings in air to cool the place down instead of air conditioning. Well, we had an anonymous listener write in to tell us exactly what is happening. So apparently, this is, not apparently, this is what the person told us. The smoke has been rough, but Apple Park is able to shut down the natural ventilation system for just this type of situation. This also came in handy in the early days of the building being put together when we moved in because the landscaping meant that the outside smelt of manure. Uh, totally true. Yep. This doesn't mean all of the air inside is clean, though. The various entryways feel identical to the outside, and many people have been wearing masks, but the cafeteria air is the cleanest air by far. Interesting. So I, I think this is uh, fascinating. So it's not as bad as maybe it could have been, but um, you know they probably also waited to shut it down, and the air quality inside was always not great, and the entryways that are probably pretty spacious and are letting in a lot of the polluted air. And I wonder if they are thinking about a, a air filtration strategy or something to clean up the air inside if it if it's dirty. But this is interesting to hear. Uh, I appreciate our anonymous listener saying that Apple Park does have some sort of strategies for this. And uh, the good news is that a uh, storm front came in on Wednesday in the Bay Area, and the air is clear now. Oh, that is good news. That is good news. And uh, uh, the f- what is the fire situation? Fires are, the f- those fires are out. Okay. They got, they got con- they're in containment, and we also had a lot of rain, which helped a lot. No. Thank you for the rain, I guess, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's a good thing to have in a situation like that. Uh, the upgradies, we still, we're still getting lots and lots and lots of votes. We have set a closing date for Upgraders nominations. You have until December 24th to get your votes in for the fifth annual Upgraders. So if you want to get your votes in... This is an unprecedented opportunity to Mm -hmm. get your votes in over a long period of time because behind the scenes... We sometimes record the Upgradies early, but we're going to... We we are going to record it early, but um, it's not going to be... Um, too early so we have yep. we have it's good it's good we have until the end of the year for us to consider our favorites of the year and for you to give your suggestions which i like a lot yep yep so this uh by the way just i guess we can say this now right too this episode will be uh the the upgrades episode is going to be the episode that goes out on december uh 31st so it's going to be the last episode of the year um, mm-hmm. That's when it's going to go up, so you'll be able to check, check it out then. But you've got you've got ample time uh, to get your votes cast if you would like to do so. Um, you know, you don't have to have a vote for every category. If you only have want to submit votes for some, that's perfectly valid to do. By the way, uh, so nothing, no no categories are actually required categories. So feel free to submit what you would like, um, and they will all be calculated and will go towards. Mm-hmm where the upgradees are going to be awarded uh, in the fifth annual upgradees, which is very, very exciting. And again, this is, uh, as we've said, I think we said last week, this is an exciting way the Mondays fall in December, where on on, on that same day, Christmas Eve, we will have the uh, upgrade holiday special. Mm -hmm. What will be special about it? Wait and see. I can't wait to find out. And on the 31st, then, on New Year's Eve, the upgradees. So there's lots of great things coming your way in December uh, from, Indeed. The, from the upgrade program. 
Indeed, including next week's episode, which because of, uh, I believe you are going to be on assignment next week. Yes. <laughs> yeah. As we like to say, you will uh-huh. be on assignment. I, I, I don't even know what that assignment is, but we've assigned you to do something that is not being on the podcast. And yep. therefore, we will have a, a special guest host next week. I don't want to tell you who it is, but I will remind you, uh, unrelated, that nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about. I wonder who that could be. I don't know. Nobody knows. You'll have to find out and check out Upgrade next week. Uh, I was saying to Jason before the show, I always enjoy listening to Upgrade, so don't don't mind it when I have the time I, off. I always enjoy making Upgrade knowing that Mike is going to hear it and be like, what are they doing to my <laughs> what? show? They're ruining my show. <laughs> <laughs> I have one piece of upstream news for you. Uh, this was from a report from the information um, via 9to5Mac. The Apple is apparently considering, for as much as that can, can truly mean, uh, a cheaper version, almost in dongle style, of the Apple TV, like Chromecast or the Fire TV Stick. So like a little HDMI dongle that you plug into the back of your television. Um, to, so you'll be able to access Apple TV content. So you would naturally expect that the differences between this, if it ever comes out, um, and the Apple TV that we have now is in power and storage. So this would probably only be streaming stuff and it wouldn't have games and apps for as useful as they are in the Apple TV. Um, and maybe some there might be some other restrictions and we would assume that they would do this so they're able to get their new content into as many homes as possible that's why they would do it if they would ever do it yeah i wonder about this um and how they would do it and would they part of me wants to say that apple would not do something a product like this and make it super compromised because that doesn't feel like apple at the same time um, I mean, this report's weird because it's considering. It's like not even that they're working on it. They're just like, somebody is thinking, should we do it? Uh, I do think that there would be, uh, and a more affordable entry into Apple TV would probably be good for Apple to have, but Apple hasn't done that yet. I've seen people speculate that it wouldn't do 4K. I kind of have a hard time believing a brand new product in 2019 wouldn't do 4K HDR. Like, I, I think they got to do that. Um, but this idea that maybe it wouldn't be as, as fast a processor uh, therefore, it might not be good as good for games, or they might even, you know, I don't think it sounds like Apple, but it is possible that they could make it a stripped down thing that didn't run the whole app platform, but only parts, only could see parts of the app store, like for video playback, um, or even uh, basically just ran the TV app. Uh, I doubt they would do that because they want to let the third party uh, providers provide their own apps. Um, you want to be able to run Netflix and all that, but you know they could bar everything. It's seeing anything that was not in the, like the videos section of the App Store, um, or I think more likely they would just you know it'll be stripped down and it won't have much storage and it'll be, uh, but it'll still be an Apple TV. Um, I, I don't I don't know. I mean I would love for them to do this because I think the entry price for the Apple TV is still too high given their competition. And given their motivation to get people into their ecosystem. And, you know, I talked to somebody, uh, a friend of mine this weekend, who wanted to buy um, a couple of these seasons that are on sale on iTunes, uh, TV seasons. And But he doesn't have an Apple TV. And he's like, I don't, I don't want to watch this on my iPad. <laughs> and I thought, oh, yeah, you know, that's one of those things that, you know, by not having the ability to get the iTunes stuff and, and whatever Apple's going to do on the streaming stuff onto your TV set, uh, even if you're in Apple's ecosystem a little bit, uh, that kind of stinks. So I think 
there's something to be said for Apple to make that more accessible, whether it's a cheaper base model yeah. Apple TV or it's one of these stick things that's that's uh, smaller and cheaper and maybe less functional. I think they do have to do something. I just don't know what it is, yeah. right? Like, I, I don't know what the the answer would be, right? The, the, the regular Apple TV, so you can buy a non-4K Apple TV for $149. And if you want to get your content into people's homes, I'm not sure that's the best way to do that, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like offering a $150 entry point before you even start paying every month when like Amazon, they offer the Fire TV stick for $25, right? Like that's yeah. and their the four, entry point. 4K version is 35 so yeah so like you know it's like obviously amazon have options this cheap because they want people to see their content right and then when you're looking at something which is like four to five times more expensive before you start charging them i don't know if that's the right way to get people to watch the content that you're investing billions of dollars into making but it all depends on what apple's ultimate strategy is but i would naturally think that if you're making a television series you want people to see it and as many people as possible. So right. maybe it's the right thing to do to try and have an option which is cheaper. And I really don't think wash it on your iPhone is the answer. Right, right. This is the, the challenge is what they want to do is get people who have iPhones or, or iPads or both to get them to start thinking of Apple as a source for their TV set as well. And... Uh, you know, again, having that interaction with my friend over the weekend, I had that moment where I thought, oh, yeah, this is a huge untapped market for Apple where these, you know, he he's not even considered getting an Apple TV. And that's the solution to his issue of, well, I want to buy these seasons, but I, I don't want to watch them on my iPad. I want to watch them on my TV. But he's not going to buy the Apple TV at its current pricing. So what can Apple do? Right. How much money have you saved on buying the Office at $35 when you need to buy a $150 item to play them? Right. So they're already in the ecosystem, but they're not in the TV part of the ecosystem, the TV set part. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's important to Apple. And, you know, AirPlay is how you get things on there, and you need an Apple TV for that, too. So, like, I, I think... It's an interesting place the Apple TV is and as a product, right? Because part part of me wants to say, this product is not going to make or break your company, right? It's totally not. It is a minor product. This product exists to be a complement to your ecosystem. So maybe you need to start being super aggressive about it as a piece of hardware because you want people in your services ecosystem and you want to sell these into every home that's got iPhones in it because it makes the iPhones that much more capable because you can throw the iPhone content up onto the TV. Yep. Um, so like... You know, it is it is just one of those things that I think uh, Apple needs to change how they're thinking about it. And maybe they will. Maybe maybe this you is know, part of that. The, the Steve Jobs line, right, that the Apple TV was a hobby, um, that makes sense. Still makes sense up until the point that the TV service launches. It's not a hobby anymore. Like, everything that Apple has done, everything that Apple has continued to release, even the Apple TV 4K that we have today, you can look at it and be like, this is a thing they do on the side, right? Like, it's just, here's a little thing, it's a different way to get this content, and blah, 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 right? Like, it's like, oh, it looks like maybe a fun project that they like to work on. But then when you start dropping billions of dollars and signing, like, A-listers to create TV shows for you, it's not a hobby anymore. You see it as a tentpole of your business. And if that's the case, 
you need to tie up the actual tel- the home television strategy a little bit better than you've got because right now that's not the case right like it's fine with how it is but you need something more and the iPhone and the iPad that is not an answer right like I don't want to watch every show at home on my iPad I watch them on my iPad while I'm on a plane right or I watch them maybe when I'm when I'm in bed like at night but if me and Adina are watching a, a new big TV series that we love we're watching it on the TV on our sofa comfortably right with our two home pods playing the sound for us like that's what I want to do. I don't want to watch it on my iPad. So I, whilst I have an Apple TV and I like my Apple TV, I don't think that's the right answer for everyone. So we'll see what they're going to do, if anything. All right, today's show is brought to you in part by Hello. Hello, make insanely comfortable buckwheat pillows. If you've never tried a buckwheat pillow before, it's different, right? These are different pillows. It's not your regular fluffy pillow. This pillow is like maximum support. Your head and neck won't be like collapsing under the like into the pillow. You're going to be nice and supported. It's a very, very different type of pillow. But as somebody who has been using one for six months... I can't imagine ever going back. I really, really love the support that I get from my hollow pillow. Like I have had some neck pains over the last year, and I do know they have gotten better, and I do know that they have gotten better since I also introduced one of these pillows into my life. Like I really like the support that this thing gives me. Um, I seriously, seriously recommend that you try it. People have been sleeping on these types of pillows for for a long time, many, 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 many years. They're popular in Japan. You can find them in some fancy hotels, right? They have like a, a premium option pillow, which is one of these things. One of the great things as well as support from buckwheat is that they also stay cool it breathes better it's like air flows through the pillows more because it's like these little holes it's like and they've got these holes in them which is kind of funny um there's no more flipping to the cool side of the pillow because your hollow pillow is always cool and you can adjust the size of the pillow by adding or removing the buckwheat holes it's super simple so you can get that pillow which is just the right thickness that you're looking for Hello pillows are made in the USA with quality construction and materials. The cases are certified organic cotton and they're cotton sewn for durability. And the buckwheat is grown and milled in the US as well. I really want you to go and try one of these things out. You should be curious by now. You're like, hmm, I wonder what this could be like. Well, I have a great option for you. You can get a hollow pillow right now at H-U-L-L-O-P-I-L-L-O-W, hollowpillow.com slash upgrade. That's where you can go and get one of these buckwheat pillows. And you can try it out for 60 nights. And if it isn't right for you, you can just send it back. No questions asked for a refund from Hollow. That's hollowpillow.com slash upgrade. And if you buy more than one of them, they have a great discount. You can get 20, up to $20 off depending on the size that you opt for. They have fast free shipping of every order and 1% of their profits are donated to the Nature Conservancy. Give it a try. If you love it, you keep it. If you don't, just send it back. That's hollowpillow.com slash upgrade right now. Our thanks to Hollow for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we have been talking a lot over the past couple of weeks about the possibilities, the great possibilities and dreams and hopes that we have for iOS 13, especially as it pertains to the iPad, right? Yeah, like what that's a nice way of saying what's missing on the iPad. But yes, yeah. we our, our hearts turn, a nation's eyes turn to iOS 13 to see what it might offer to make the iPad Pro more functional. Yes. So you put your... Fingers where your 
what, mouth. Yeah, is? I don't even know. So there was a tweet. The story is there was a tweet. As all good stories begin. Uh, with they begin with a tweet. There's a million tweets in the Naked City. This is one of them. The um, reader Mike R on Twitter um, replied to a tweet that I uh, sent out for my review, uh, my my six colors review of the iPad, and he said, and I think this is really funny. Can we get a David Letterman top ten? iOS 13 iPad features you'd like to see list a top 10 list. David Letterman, for those who do not know, longtime talk show host in the United States, uh, retired now has a Netflix show. Will it come back? I don't know. I haven't heard anything about that, but great Netflix show. Really um, good. So, uh, and one of my favorites, uh, all time, very formative for me. Been watching it. You know, I watched it when I was, you know, a kid, I, I, through high school and stuff and college. So, um, uh, and one of his bits was a top 10 list where it would be like a comedy top 10 list. So you'd have a premise, top 10 things we'd like to see from, you know, whatever. Right. And then there would be 10, 10 counted down to one. There'd be drum rolls. Um, and it was jokes because it's just, it's comedy. There were, there were jokes. And the last one would often be completely absurd. That was not the funniest one. Wasn't number one. Uh, that was usually the most absurd one. And uh, anyway, my, uh, so listener slash reader, Mike R wanted to know, uh, top 10 iPad features I'd like to see. I very quickly responded to him on Twitter with a top 10 list. Um, and that got a lot of commentary. And I thought, well, I should just write an article. I, like, And it was the easiest article. I wrote that for Macworld, for my Macworld column last week. The easiest article I have ever written because I already had done the thinking about the list. So all I had to do was explain what was on the <laughs> list. And because there were 10 of them, they didn't have to be long explanations. Uh, and so, yes, that's where it started is what, what about the top 10? And then that got people talking. I posted that. And people are like, but what about this? But what about this? But what about this? And I think it turned into a very interesting exercise of sort of like, like what are those features that are that are missing that we would really like to see? Um, and as I sort of ranked them, I mean, there's room for improvement. I left a couple out that I think are probably more important than some of the ones I left in. But it was also a personal list. There are yeah. some features that I think are important for a lot of people that were not as important for me, so I didn't list them. Uh, but yeah, it was a fun exercise. So we will run through the list as you wrote it, and then at the end we will address some of the like common what do you think abouts um, and maybe yeah. some of the stuff that was missed off. Yeah, yeah, I can't believe you didn't mention. There, yeah, I got a few of those, so we, we, we'll cover those too. Number 10, menu bar mode. What is a menu yeah. bar mode on the iPad? Menu bar mode. I, uh, uh, so my, this, is a, this is why it's number 10, is it's kind of a dumb idea. But the idea is that if, uh, if developers are converting their apps using Marzipan next year mm-hmm. to run on the Mac... What they're going to have to do is things like define how they work with menu bars and windows and stuff like that. And it got me thinking, I wonder, since they've got all this great external display support on the iPad Pro, if uh, those same apps running on the iPad Pro, maybe they could take advantage of all that extra information, the menu bar, uh, Mac menu bar information and keyboard shortcuts and all of that, and kind of enter a mode that's not turn it into a Mac, but is something that might be more drivable on an external display uh, with uh, you know either either like a keyboard and a trackpad, or even using the iPad as a pointing device, mm-hmm. um, it sort of like converts it into something more like a desktop when it's attached to an external display. Again, number ten, kind of 
a wacky one that I actually don't think Apple will ever do because it feels like a bridge too far, but I think they totally could. And a lot of the feedback I got was surprising in that it was positive. Like Steve Trotton Smith, I think, responded to this one. He's like, yeah, they could do way more than that. Use those Marzipan apps. And there was somebody else who said, why do you say this in context of the iPad? I want to plug in my iPhone to a big monitor and have it enter menu bar mode. And I said, well, you could do that. That I said, you know, you're ruining my premise now by saying the iPhone. That's why I didn't mention the iPhone. But yeah, totally you could. Um, I don't know. This is. It feels like it's a bridge too far uh, for Apple because Apple seems to have made some very uh, drawn some lines that they seem unwilling to erase about what uh, iOS looks like. And I think Marzipan is is actually the proof of that. The idea that rather than bring iOS to a laptop form factor, they've just decided they're going to make the apps go over to the laptop, but not call it iOS. They're going to call it Mac OS, but it's going to be iOS apps on Mac OS. And that may be, that, that appears to be where they're drawing the line. But still, I, I think about the big external drive or device uh, support, the big external display support, 4K, 5K displays. And I think you got to do something with that that isn't just it's a you know it's a preview of your media right like there's got to be something more you could do make to make that more useful and one way would be to find a way to drive that interface uh and you know you can't do that right now on ios it's just a mirror or it's an external preview so something maybe menu bar mode is that if menu bar mode was or something like that would exist like when you plug it in and the interface changes in some way to allow you to maybe use more powerful applications use more of them at one time there are other things that you need to do that and we will get to those right because there's some there's some different things that you would sure. need um but kind of just just going back to this a moment like maybe maybe right like thinking of it as like menu bar mode is not the right way to think of it cuz it maybe. might just be that like what is the next thing? So, like, you take the Mac and you take the take iOS and you smush them together, and then what comes out, right? Like, how does a computer look like that, right? Like, if now you have a really big screen, you have a twenty-seven inch screen, and you have iOS slash macOS apps that can run together in the same place, what does that user interface look right. like, right? And maybe they call it desktop mode or external yeah. display mode. If it was a marketing marketing name for it, I might call it like desktop mode or something like that and just say, this is how do you use iOS on a desktop? Well, here's one way, attach it to an external display. I also don't think it would have like Mac Windows, right? I think it no. would have, I think we're assuming iOS 13 is going to have some sort of uh, different, uh, some spin on multitasking uh, in, and including well, running, tabs as we'll get to later, thing, right? like tabs maybe, yeah. but, but whatever it'll be, I think it'll be a more iOS method of running things in full screen or, or split view or slide over or tabbed views or something like that. But that idea of, could we drive this on an external display? And then number nine, external touchscreen support. What does this mean? This would be even better. Uh, and this would be, what if you plugged an iPad or an iPhone, I suppose, uh, into a uh, one of these 4K or 5K displays, that was a touchscreen. And I don't know what the standards are, although, you know, if Apple built its external display with touch, multi-touch on it, they uh, they could do it however they liked. But the idea of, uh, we keep talking about what if Apple made a Surface Studio that, you know, that that's the iMac-like product. I was actually at Twit yesterday and Leo Laporte on the set, he was using the Surface Studio. Um, and with the with the the side edges and the, the actually the shape of the buttons on it, it looks like an oversized novelty iPad Pro 2018. It huh. le- legitimately it looks like a, a an enormous iPad Pro sitting at his desk. But what if Apple doesn't make that? What if Apple just makes a display, a 4K or 5K display with touch, and says if you want to use this as an iPad, just plug in an iPad and 
boom, now you have an iPad that's that size. Why not? And I liked the thing that you posed as like, well, we know Apple are making monitors again, right? Like, what if one of them was really expensive and it was this, right? Right. Like, so you could attach it to your Mac Pro or your Mac Mini or as an external display for your iMac Pro, but you could also attach it to your iPad Pro. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> would that wouldn't that be cool? Now there are, there are ergonomic issues there because the, like the Surface Studio has this kind of drafting table kind of mode where it, it'll, mm-hmm. it'll drop way down. It's well, not that's like what I would want, right? Like I would and that's want them what to you, make you that kind of like, need yeah. to do it that way. But you know, Apple is not beyond doing something very similar. And if it wasn't the the <laughs> thing about the Surface Studio is it's got a huge foot because it's got the computer inside and it's got the thin. It's a little bit like the um, the gooseneck uh, the Chrome Arm iMac where there's a computer in the base and 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 then the the display is super thin and light so uh apple doesn't have to do that apple needs weight in the base just to keep it from tipping over but it, apple doesn't have to build a whole computer into it because it's uh an external display and that gives them a little bit more freedom i'm sure they could uh, develop an adjustable dis- touch screen external display that would work for mac users especially if the mac gets touch eventually um, with uh, especially with marzipan coming in, um, but certainly for iOS. So the next thing that you move on to is keyboard shortcuts for function keys. So, you know, yeah. this includes what we were talking about, right? Like what we were missing from the, uh, the, sh- the keyboard folio, right, is being able to, that we one of the things we had on our, our beloved bridge keyboards is the ability to change the brightness, play and pull music. You have home, like you could buttons for the home. Uh, to get home, you can use like Siri buttons. Like they're all there. And Apple's yes. keyboards don't have that, but it's more yeah, than sp- just that, right? The smart keyboard folio um, doesn't have that row. And I said in my, you know, I was listening to ATP and Marco talking about his briefings. And I don't generally talk about what happens in the briefings because they're sort of on background. But I will say this, that I said to the people I was talking to very specifically, I said, the problem, I said, I like this keyboard. It's very nice. You not having the function row. I know nobody cares about the function row, but the function row is where you put all of your media shortcuts, your brightness and volume shortcuts. And it kills me that you can't, uh, that you can't set uh, as an alternative, set a keyboard shortcut of your own uh, for those things so that I can, when I'm using the smart keyboard folio and I want to adjust the volume or pause my song or change the brightness on an external Bluetooth keyboard, I can do that from a key on the iPad. I have to, to reach up and swipe down from control center and get the control and do it. And it's not as nice. And I will just say my, the response was essentially we hear you. Like it was not, Oh no, 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 no. That's dumb. Nobody does that. Right. It was like, uh, we hear you, which is, I I don't think that's an endorsement that they're going to make a change down the road, but I, I, I was impressed that they didn't give me an impassioned defense of omitting the function key row. Yeah. Um, I don't need those keys. I really don't. I don't care that they're gone on the smart keyboard folio, but Apple itself already retasked them all with things that were more useful than generic function keys. And, um, and then they omitted them from this keyboard. I know Apple doesn't love the function row because they did the touch bar too, but uh, it would be nice if I had an alternative to that. And then the, you can you can broaden it out from there, but the whole idea that um, 
I want there to be system-wide keyboard shortcuts like this, and there could be others. And at that point, you probably should have them be at least somewhat customizable. You can do that on the Mac today. I know that risks collisions with um, with apps, but you know the Mac handles that today. Where if there's a collision, the app wins, and that's it. <laughs> and it's fine if you have a an app that collides with that keyboard shortcut. Change the shortcut, mm-hmm. and just deal with it if users can assign it then it doesn't matter i would like to see more of that this is one that is of great interest to me and you but maybe not the world at large but would be wonderful is mature audio support yeah yeah this is we beat on this a lot but uh the way i boiled it down in in my article and i think this is the way to to think of it is we have apps on ios that can record audio um and we can run more than one app at a time. In fact, you can run three apps at once with SlideOver. But only one app can attach to your microphone at a time. Also, I mean, it goes beyond that to things like if you have an app that has microphone access or uh, you're playing music in the background and then you tap on a video on Twitter. Like lots of weird things happen because iOS kind of wants to only have one thing playing at one time and one app attached to the microphone while another app is playing music. The music just stops, which is frustrating. So it's not just input. It's just a more mature audio uh, platform for iOS. And uh, this comes up in a bunch of ways. I, I uh, One we'll mention later um, is the idea that um, for video conferencing, it's a similar thing where you kind of have to do that full screen. Uh, somebody pointed out to me, it's like, well, it would be really nice if it, you know, video conferencing, I could pop in picture in picture or run side by side and run other apps and stuff. And it's like a lot of that stuff in a lot of apps doesn't quite work right because Apple's uh, Apple has not focused on making this stuff better. But yes, I would really like it if I could have multiple input devices uh, supported by iOS, which doesn't exist right now. It sh- it switches for you. And yes, if I could run a recorder app and a, uh, a, a video conferencing or audio conferencing app side by side, and both of them could see the microphone at once so I could record myself while I was talking to you, that would be great. It, it's just not there. Yeah, I mean, iOS seems to have some basic understanding of multiple audio, right? Like in like an AirPlay 2 has shown that, you know, you can be using AirPlay 2 to play something and you can also hear audio, right? Like it's a thing that there there seems to be something, I mean, and I don't know how related or unrelated those things are, but it's it's huge. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's a big step forward. On the input side, they haven't taken as big a step forward. Some of the apps still kind of like do weird things to your audio. Um, I, they have they have made advances here, but I would like a little bit more. It just it feels very much like this was a decision that was made a long time ago, and in, it was in a world where only one app ran at a time, <laughs> and the world has changed, and this has not. Like we know the audio bus exists, which is this way in iOS to be able yeah. to like move applicate move audio between multiple applications. But let's just say audio bus has been around for years and it hasn't really changed anything on iOS in yeah, significant this, ways. This is something that I got uh, feedback from somebody about who said there already exist these different interfaces that let apps share audio. It's just that the apps, all the apps that do this video conferencing and audio conferencing, don't support it. And the implication there is that this is, Apple's already solved this problem. It's just the app's uh, faults for not supporting it. And I'd say, well, I think it still falls on Apple. This could be way easier. <laughs> uh, and whatever they're doing now, it's not working because these apps aren't supporting it. 
And uh, one way to make it way easier is to just let the apps do what they're doing now and have it work. (laughs) Yep, is that the apps don't need to support it, right? Because that's not how it works on the Mac. Because, you know, Skype is not going to add audio bus support. It's just not going to happen. I wish it would. But uh, so, you know, Apple needs to do something to get all of these audio apps to actually be able to to interoperate in a way that an audio bus also was built for you know basically music production stuff and it's probably overkill mm-hmm. for these other apps to implement uh, but anyway yeah i just I, I don't care how it's done i just want it to work and i don't want to have to hope that one day the maker of an app decides to finally implement it i would like it to be uh something that apple can do at the system level to make this basically a no-brainer and developer tools for iOS. I guess this is like the showing of maturity on the platform, right? Like a platform, I guess, is mature when you can make apps for it on the thing, right? Like you make Mac apps on a Mac, right? Make iPad apps on the iPad. I mean, that's that's the that's the standard line to be a legitimate computing platform. You got to develop software on that platform. A lot of people believe that. Those people are all software developers. I don't. I don't believe it. <laughs> Um, I think it's a legitimate, <laughs> legitimate computing platform now, but I will say, yes, it would make lots of sense for Apple to do some sort of development tool to, on iOS. I wonder if it's not Xcode though. I wonder if Apple is working on some sort of thing that they'll, you know, that'll be a next generation development tool that runs on Mac and OS, iOS and they keep Xcode around, but there's this thing and and they kind of final cut ten it where it's like, this is new and it's going to grow and Xcode's going to be still around for a while, but we're also going to invest in this and it runs on both platforms and it will be limited and they won't be able to bring over all their Mac software to, to run it on iOS or the, even their iOS software. It'll be, you know, and there'll be complaints and the whole story. Story, right, I think that might be the uh, the approach they take. I think history has shown that that will one hundred percent be the route that gets taken, <laughs> and it's not a criticism, right? right? It's just that's just the way a lot of this stuff right. has been going. Like it's what Adobe is doing with Photoshop; they're doing this exact thing too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and and that'll make everybody nervous because people who rely on Xcode, they're like, "What do you mean you've got a new development tool? What about Xcode?" And I think the answer will be Xcode's not going anywhere for a very long time on the Mac. Um, but we're also going to invest in this new thing that is on the Mac and iOS, and that is sort of the future development environment, and it's the, the you know the next generation developer environment. Uh, they could also just do Xcode for iOS, but I just my gut feeling is that that's an old piece of software, and that maybe their solution when they introduce there are a lot of rumors about them introducing a bunch of new development features and ways of building apps in a future version of the OSs, I wonder if this is all connected. I'm trying to connect some dots here. So yes, I am in an evidence dungeon with a bunch of yarn connecting different scraps of paper and like, let's figure it out, people. Let's go through the rabbit hole here. But it it, it does sort of feel like maybe this is an opportunity for Apple to kind of say, here's a whole story about what we're doing with the future of Apple platform uh, development. And it includes, and, and that that story has to include iOS as a as a, a place where you do your development it can't just be a target and and uh uh so yes even though i'm not a developer and kind of don't care from a professional level about like d- the ability to develop on my ipad pro because i'm not going to do that I-, I think it does need to happen at some point and i would like to see apple start to move in that direction because it sends a signal right it's like the ipad pro it's so powerful you can develop software on it like that that's important send the message 
We're halfway through the top 10 list, which seems like the perfect time to take a break and thank Smile for their support of this show. Today, I want to talk to you about PDF Pen, the ultimate tool for editing PDFs from our friends at Smile. Using PDF Pen, you can say goodbye to having to do a bunch of filing and you can go completely paperless for scanning and OCR. You get, you'll be able to break that cycle of like you receive a contract, you have to print it, you sign it with a pen, scan it and email it. None of that with PDF Pen. You get that document. It could be a Word document. It can be a PDF. It doesn't matter. You open it up in PDF Pen. You can you can uh, mark it up. You can highlight it. You can adjust things. You can correct text. You can sign it. You can save it back out again and send it off. It is really wonderful. With PDF Pen, you can also search and redact sensitive information, such as account numbers, if you need to do that. You can insert, remove, and reorder pages in the document. You can move and adjust images even. And what about putting watermarks on them? You can do all of this with PDF Pen. And you can take the next step up to PDF Pen Pro to get even more features like creating an editing table of contents, converting entire websites into PDFs. What about adding and editing document permissions? Anything you've ever wanted to do with a PDF document, you can do in PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro. And if you uh, love dark mode, both versions of PDF Pen, uh, the version 10.2, they include support for dark mode on Mojave as well, with smoother scrolling, faster thumbnail drawing, and increased maximum zoom, so you can get right down to the... You can make those letters huge on your display if you want to. You get right down to each individual letter. You can go for it. Lots of zoom with PDF Pen. If you deal with PDFs at all, you need PDF Pen. I use PDF Pen every single day, especially this is like a time of year for me as we get up to the end of the year. We're working on lots of contracts. And next year, all the great contracts means I'm going to use PDF Pen every single day. Love it. You can learn more right now by going to smilesoftware.com slash podcast. That is smilesoftware.com slash podcast to learn more about PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro. Our thanks to PDF Pen from Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, uh, item number five, external pointing devices. Yeah, I feel like I've talked about this one a lot, but it's the same thing. I mentioned that I think external pointing devices have a use on iOS, and then everybody yeah. goes, no, iOS, don't you know? The rule is that there are no pointing devices on iOS, and there are no cursors. It's different. And, it, you know, not to... <laughs> well, I already did. I already gave them a little bit of a funny voice <laughs> there, but not to not to repel these complaints, but I feel like... Uh, first off, it's it's the worst kind of. Uh, Steve Jobs told us what this product was eight years ago, and therefore it must always be that way. Kind of like it came down from the mountaintop, kind of dogma that it's just like no, wrong. I don't care. I don't care what they thought about this product eight years ago. Let's talk about twenty eighteen. And everybody and knows, about Jason. Steve Jobs never changed his mind. Yeah, well, and it kills me, too, because I get it from the other side, too, where I talk about the Apple Pencil, and there are people like, oh, a stylus. I thought you didn't need those, which is not what Steve Jobs said about that either, but anyway. It wasn't about the um, iPad, and it was about, like, whatever. Yeah. And it was about requiring a stylus yeah. instead of making it optional. But anyway, it, that's not that's already in there. That, that support that they said they would never, ever, ever, ever come to iOS, of course it did with the Apple Pencil. So um, external pointing device, what I'm not asking for and what I think a lot of people think when I talk about this is a little black arrow that I can slide around on the screen between windows and turn my iPad into a Mac. That's not what I want. But first off, the genie's out of the bottle. The uh, editing text, there was a whole raft of stories last week where people were blown away by the fact that you can use a, a text cursor on iOS by 3D touch or uh, by touch and hold on the, on the space bar. 
um, which is a f- thing we've talked about a lot, but is not super discoverable, and mm-hmm. therefore people are still surprised by it. And it is great, and it's been in there for a while. Like Apple has a cursor that you can move around on screen; it's already there. So the idea of having a cursor is already in iOS for text editing, where it's very useful. That's why they did it, and I would like that for an external device that, like a trackpad that I could keep at the same plane as my keyboard so I don't have to reach up to the display to edit text. And the other thing that I use my Mac's trackpad for that I'd like to on iOS is uh, multi-touch gestures. Because again, I have them on my iPad, but my iPad is up there and I'm down here on the keyboard. And I'd really be able, like to be able to reach under or beside my keyboard and swipe to another app or bring up multitasking with a, a, you know, a multi-finger gesture like I do on my Mac. Um, and so I could, I could totally use an external device. Like the Apple Pencil, it doesn't need to be required. But... Wouldn't it be nice if there was a whole new round of, uh, of of external kind of keyboard accessories for iPad that also had a little trackpad that you could use to edit text or swipe between apps or whatever without leaving Scroll your hands. Scroll pages. You have access to scrolling. Gestures. Yeah, scrolling scrolling stuff all the time, right? Like uh, when I when I'm sitting in keyboard mode, it's optimized for my hands on the keys, but I still have to reach up and like swipe through a web page. Well, I would love to be able to just move my hand to the right slightly or down and, and do a two finger scroll and swipe through that web page. So I'm not saying it's super easy and there are like lots of complications with it. And I don't think it would be a mainstream use. I think it would be a, you know, a small productive subset like the keyboard is not a mainstream use, I would mm-hmm. say. Uh, but I, w- I want it. I want you it. You could call it a pro user feature. It could be a pro feature. It could be. And, and then if you're using if you're using a video editor or an audio editor or all sorts of other applications, now you've got this touch surface at the keyboard level that lets you do some swiping and scrolling that you otherwise have to kind of like go back and forth mm-hmm. between the keyboard and the screen. And that's not as good. I will say, like, I know what you mean about saying about the cursor, but... I do think that if there is an ultimate option, like if something that is being encouraged is that we start plugging our iPads into 4K displays, I do think trying to find a way to to have a cursor on screen would be interesting. I think it is not an impossibility. That's that's menu bar mode, right? That's that's maybe a little bit different, but yeah, I think in a a mode like that, I mean, you almost, you would have to have this Mm -hmm. to do menu bar mode. And a cursor doesn't have to be the little black arrow, right? Like it could be a circle, which is almost the size of a human finger, right? And then you just use that and that's just how it works, right? I I don't love the idea of having a virtual finger that you move around with a trackpad. I I don't love that idea. Um, I'd be okay with an iOS that that works with gestures and has cursors in very specific contexts um, yep. with external pointing devices. I, I would love your thing. I'm just saying I don't think it is. A, it's not the worst thing in the world to 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 assume some kind of cursor. You know, because it's like there are other platforms, right? Like Chromebooks and Windows, they find a way to make these things coexist. I think it is not yep. impossible. It's maybe not the most elegant thing, but it might be interestingly usable over time. We'll see. Number four, I think uh, upgrade listeners, keen upgrade listeners know your feelings on this one, uh, pro apps on iOS. Yes, I ranted about this last time. So we'll just say um, Apple, one way Apple shows that it believes in its own platform as a pro platform. Yes, the developer tools is one way. Bringing its other professional tools like Final Cut and Logic to the iPad is another way. Adobe's doing it with Photoshop. I think it is... Yeah, I mean, it's I already I already ranted about it, so I won't rant again other than to say that I think it is uh it, a thing that Apple needs to do 
just to show that it's taking the pro market on the iPad seriously, mm-hmm. even if it's impractical, even if the uh, they won't have as many users for it, at least at first. Like there are lots of excuses. I had somebody say, well, you can't use logic on an 11 inch uh, screen. And I thought I used logic on an 11 inch MacBook Air for years. So I know I, I think they just need to do it to say, yes, we are there too. Pro apps are real and they run great on iPad Pro. I think they need to do it. It's not necessarily an iOS feature, although maybe they need to update iOS to do it. I would imagine it will come in conjunction with an iOS release, but maybe not. But still, it's on my list. Number three, additions to shortcuts. So I was thinking, you talk about those keyboard shortcuts earlier, wouldn't it be lovely yes. to activate shortcuts shortcuts with keyboard shortcuts? It would be so great. I, I want keyboard access for shortcuts everywhere so that I can run a shortcut without having to open the share menu and tap shortcuts. Um, I also want them to truly run in the background so I don't have to see every step running. Um, that happens in Siri and it haps, happens in the uh, the Today View in Notification Center. Um, it, they run there without showing you all the steps. I would like it to run optionally other places without yep. showing those steps so yep. I could do a keyboard shortcut and it could say running shortcut, do, 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 done, right? I would love to be able to do that. It does tie in with my idea of system-wide shortcuts, although uh, the way the Mac does it, you can also apply shortcuts in particular apps. Okay, if we want to do that, that's fine. And then the other part of this, uh, and it's something that you and I have talked about a lot, is um, scheduling shortcuts, having mm-hmm. the ability to say, run the shortcut at 8 a.m. every day, tying it in yep. with uh, an alarm or having it be an alarm. I was um, thinking HomeKit. To- you could tie it into HomeKit automations as sure. well as another option. Like uh, alarms is great, but like this, it, it's another one, right? Like you have your good morning shortcut. Why not just have that trigger with your automation or whatever? You know, right. like with your with your HomeKit automation, it's, it's another way to potentially do it. Um, but it would be great, right? Like this is, I, I genuinely feel like these types of things, these additions to shortcuts, yeah. are one of the more likely things because shortcuts is super powerful sure and they hadn't been working on it for that long you know inside of apple and they did a lot of really interesting stuff this is the integration with ios that i'm talking about here but there are lots of other ways um atn bueno in the chat room said it would be nice if there was an undo undo gesture and shortcuts yes you should also be able to copy individual items and whole sets of items and duplicate them or paste them elsewhere in the shortcuts and of course as federico fedici will tell you at the the drop of a hat um folders for shortcuts so that they're not all in one giant (laughs) scrolling list would also be nice there there are app improvements that need to be made with shortcuts but i also wanted to be better integrated system-wide yes uh, we don't really need to talk about number two any more than we already have, but external storage in the files app. Like, yep, yep. it's, it's, it's such a gimme. My, my elevator pitch is basically, look, some people in some contexts still need to read files off a drive or connect to a file server in their in their office or home. Um, and and you've got an app called Files, and you've got and a you USB have a, C a device. Standard, you have a standard connector now. Just just make it happen just make it happen like it, it it is it is the one that boggles my mind only because it could think of how much uh criticism they could have avoided in the arguments of not a real computer if they had been able to ship that feature before they shipped the new iPad Pro but they didn't you know the thing is though Jason it would have just been something else it would have like, been but that would that was that was a an, it's easy, an easy one. that was the an easy easiest yeah. target yeah. and they could have removed it and they didn't. 
And as we mentioned earlier, if you're following along, the David Letterman style lists, the number one always was some kind of joke. So that's worth well, bearing in mind. Well, they're all jokes, but the most <laughs> absurd and not necessarily right. funny joke was the number one. And so for my list, I put number one, Umoji. <laughs> like, well, we had an emoji and we had Memoji. What about Umoji? Would this be that you would replace, replace your, your friend's face with, with a, an emoji? Um, because you don't want to see their face. Uh, I don't know. Um, whatever. It's just a joke. I don't need this one. I, I'll take the other nine. But there was a bunch we didn't mention. So this is so yes. there was one that I uh, put in our document too, which is one we've spoken about in the past. Which I, I was surprised didn't make it to your list actually, because I know you care about this so much. Yeah. Uh, a desktop class Safari browser. Yeah, I think this is uh, it's complicated, and this is the reason um, that I I didn't want to get into it in the article. But it's complicated because some of this is on the web developers because web developers are sensing an iOS browser and serving a light version of a page. Some of it is on the complications of the assumptions that you make as a web developer, that there's a pointing device with hover states and, you know, all mouse click states that are not ones that exist on a touch screen. And so they have to provide this alternate view and they're basically doing it for phones. Trackpad and the iPad mode. is sort of stuck Trackpad in the middle. Mode. Trackpad mode could do this. Right? Right. So that yeah. that's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Apple could find other ways. I think I think Apple could find ways to make this more palatable. And the reason we want this is because there's some web apps that that should run fine on uh, iPad and they don't because they're broken because they are serving this weird mobile version. And if Safari was given the charter on iOS that it should be at least able to run desktop level stuff, uh, w- maybe it's a setting, maybe it's for certain sites. There are lots of ways you could do it, but uh, a lot of times you run into a situation where you need to open a web page on an iOS device and it doesn't work right. And th- I don't. You know, but why? Like all the power is there, but it's being served strangely. Um, You know, there are browsers that will pose as computer browsers and sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. But I feel like this is something, this is a problem that Apple needs to try to solve. And if some of that is by making changes to the software that make it a more more complicated world for web developers, so web developers have to pay attention, or if they just have to fake it and just pretend they're a Mac running Safari and do some stuff in the background to make it all kind of work right or make that mode optional, whatever it is, this is a frustration because sometimes there are apps that are not as full-featured as the web app, so you need to go to the web app, or there is no app for something and you have to use the web app. And when you try, you realize, I literally can't do this thing on my iPad because of the way that the website is built. Which is really annoying. It's super annoying. Running iPhone apps in landscape. Somebody tweeted this in, and it's totally true. If you run an app that's not universal, so it doesn't support the iPad, it insists on running it in portrait orientation. And it runs so you'll in be like s- some like like iPhone SE mode or something. Yeah, it's and then not and then blown up. It's yeah. not good. So I know that a- Apple doesn't want to make iPhone app compatibility a priority because they want to shame the developers of these apps. But I have a couple that I have to run and I run them on my iPad and I go, oh, like it's, they're just so bad. So just, you know, have pity on the poor iPad user. We use our, our devices in horizontal orientation a lot. Uh, please let that be okay. <laughs> it's like Instagram is obviously a big one. 
And I, I was just saying, I mentioned this because it is something strange. I saw something strange a couple of days ago. So like Instagram, their app is so bad. Like the iOS app is like, the, you know, the iPhone app is so bad on the iPad. Like it's not, it's yeah. almost not worth using at all. Um, Instagram. I don't, I, I just, I just use the website. <laughs> yeah. Instagram has a not bad website, right? And like you can use the website, but I was like playing around with it. I was like, what can, what can you do with the website version? And you can apparently add to your Instagram story. And I was like, that's strange. So I pressed the button and it said, you have to rotate your device to portrait. And I was like, this is so weird. But yeah, you rotate your device to portrait and you can take pictures with the iPhone's camera on the Instagram website. And it's just like these things of like, why did you make this Instagram, but you don't have an, an iPad app? Why did you put so much effort into your website, even allowing you to take pictures from devices on the website, but you don't have an iPad app? It's very peculiar to me. Very mm. peculiar. Uh, better video conferencing support. I, I mean, I you kind of referenced this, but I don't really understand yes. what the issues are here because I guess I don't do a lot of video yeah. conferencing. The, the impression I so I heard about this from a reader, and um, I think the idea there is he said not just audio, it's video too. I have these video conference apps that insist on being full screen, and it's again, it's one of these kind of legacies where they're insisting on being full screen. Now, this is an example where I don't know whether that is just an app that has decided to ban multitasking. Um, or whether they are doing that or are forced to do that because of the way the video and audio subsystems of iOS work. I don't know. But given the complexities of audio stuff, it may be that they're like, no, 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 we don't want other apps running. <laughs> but his frustration is he wants to have his office video conferencing app open side by side with like a document. And he says that at least with the apps that they use, uh, they can't do that. So I, I just wanted to kind of throw that in there as, yes, this is a thing that, that the iPad needs to be better at, is like you should be better at doing anything you need to do in multitasking. You know, if multitasking is good, some people want to do stuff in multitasking. Having an app that forces you out of multitasking is not good. So then as an advancement to multitasking, we could be looking at tabbed app instances. And this is like a thing that I, I keep seeing people like Steve Transmith talking about. Um, I think Steve thinks that, that this is not only a good way for it to go, but believes that this is the way the iOS 13 will go. So this is like if you imagine looking at different web pages in Safari or Chrome and you have tabs, well, imagine that you were using Google Docs and you had tabs in Google Docs and you could mix those instances all up together. And that could be a way that you would allow applications to have multiple instances running and stuff like that. Um, what do you think of that? It's complicated to get your head around, I think. Yeah, I, I think, so the basic version of this is apps should be able to, think of it as opening multiple windows. Mm -hmm. Like on, on a Mac, apps can open multiple windows. On the iOS, you really can't do that, although Safari does it. You can have two Safari uh, windows running side by side and so the idea there is let this happen does again mail let this... do it too does it i think it has a sure. version of split screen in mail on ios hmm. i don't know or if that's just multiple panes anyway so the point here is let other apps do it have this be a system-wide function um, i think this has the the assumption everybody's making here is that that's going to go along with the uh, marzipan stuff like you're going to have to have the ability on the mac to you know potentially have multiple windows open how do you reference that on ios and the answer is you could have 
tabs, or you could have at least a side-by-side kind of thing. There are other uses here too, like the flexibility this gives you. Yes, it means that I can run Microsoft Word uh, with two docs side-by-side. It also means that I could have like Safari and another app open in Split View, but also have a different Safari view in Slideover, let's say. Like that could be cool. Like again, not for every use, but it increases the flexibility of the OS to have all the apps be able to tap into this. And yes, beyond that, you start to say, how do you deal with lots of different apps running in different places? Maybe there's a tab tab interface where the tabs are different apps. Um, I'm not sure Apple wants to go there. That's a very different interface approach from iOS mm-hmm. today. But uh, you know, but who knows? But something like that. At the very least, we all I think want to see. The ability for apps to have multiple instances running at once. And something that I hear people talk about quite a lot is um, multiple user logins on iOS. Yeah. And I heard about this from a bunch of people. Um, it's not a feature that I care about because I don't share my iPad Pro with the rest <laughs> of my family, but there are a lot of people who do. I think Apple's argument is like, you know, this is this is a pro product, but the reality is people share these devices and at $1,000, uh, people are going to share these devices still. They're not going to just say, no, 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 uh, this one's expensive. Nobody else can use it. A lot of people, these are iPads are shared devices. iPhones are personal devices. Dan Morin wrote a thing in Macworld last week about it. Um, and he made a point, like it goes beyond the iPad. Like the, there are assumptions Apple makes about one device for one person that work on the iPhone and that start to break down with the iPad and with the HomePod and, and a little bit with the Apple TV. But I think the HomePod is another great example where mm-hmm. It doesn't recognize different people. It will only tie to one Apple ID. If you have one Apple ID, because it doesn't recognize other people, and you turn personalized like music suggestions on, then everything everybody who uses that HomePod is now feeding data into your personal account, which I had to turn that off because I'm like, wait a second. I don't want the random songs my daughter plays to be influencing my For You data on on my Apple Music. Like, I, I'm not, I don't want that. I want to keep my data, the, the stuff that I'm playing. Um, and it just, it has no way of doing that. Um, I, I, I think this all goes together, which is Apple has to deal with this idea of devices that are shared and how does it go? We, we got Face ID. Can Face ID do multiple uh, multiple views? Because that would be the nice way to do it is to have your Face ID, like, like Touch ID actually, uh, on Macs, uh, detect who you are and log you into your user. But uh, that adds all this complexity of having a logged in and logged out state. But I heard from a lot of people who say they really, really want this because they want to be able to use their iPad and then like flip it into a different mode where their kids can use it. And they only have, you know, they don't have access to their emails and stuff like that. It's just the kids stuff. And um, I get it. I get it. It, That's a hard problem to solve. And Apple has not shown a lot of interest in solving it, but they have had some sort of version of this in education for a couple of years now. And uh, I I think it's worth mentioning as a, potentially being on the list. There's some great items in there, and I would love to see a, a big chunk of these. Being yeah, let, the let's list. see what we get yeah. in 2019. All right, it's time for some hashtag ask upgrade questions. Today's ask upgrade is brought to you by Simple Contacts. I'm sure, dear listener, that you have many things that demand your time. You have work to do. You have side projects to complete in your evenings. And let's be honest, you have some stuff you want to do for yourself. Video games you want to play. Maybe you're working through Pokemon or Red Dead Redemption 2. No matter what it is, you don't want to have to worry 
about taking time out of your life to go and order your contact lenses. Simple Contacts lets you renew your prescription and reorder your contacts online. You can do it from anywhere in minutes. Their self-guided vision test takes just five of those minutes to complete. It's way faster than going to the doctor's office. And then a licensed doctor will review every test so you can skip the office visit, but not the care. Now, this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. Simple Contacts is checking that your current prescription will still help you see 2020, and then they will help you renew your lenses based on that prescription. They don't write new prescription or examine your eye health. But then once you've gone through it all, you'll be able to order contacts right from the palm of your hand. Their contact lens prices are unbeatable. They have free standard shipping, and their vision tests cost just $20. Simple Contacts has all the brands and lens types that you're already familiar with as well. Now, Jason, I know that you have taken the vision test. Did it indeed take you just a few minutes to complete? Yeah, it's very quick. They've got a little virtual uh, like assistant who helps you and tells you where to stand and to and to you know stand at a distance and it looks at the camera to see that you're at a far far enough distance and then it throws at the eye chart and it's all in service of uh, making sure that your prescription hasn't changed but super easy and, and fast and uh, and actually kind of fun because the the fact that they've got a it's like a little person who's in your phone telling you what to do it's uh both like audio and video it's very clever over 5,000 people have rated the Simple Contacts app on the App Store five stars. It is a very impressive piece of technology. You can get $20 off your contacts today. Just go to simplecontacts.com slash ahoy20 and use the code ahoy20. That's simplecontacts.com slash A-H-O-Y-2-0 and the code ahoy20 for $20 off your contacts. Our thanks to Simple Contacts for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, Jason. Hashtag ask upgrade questions. Thank you very much. Jacob wants to know, or maybe Jacob. I'm going to go with Jacob, though. Do you guys Probably. set up your iPad just like your iPhone, or do you do it completely different? Totally different. Totally different, right? Totally different. Yeah. Now, yep. Jacob said that he he did it differently and now was trying it with his iPhone and it made more sense to them. And I understand that. You know, if that's your thing, because like consistency, but like I think of these devices as two completely different things. I mean, even down to the fact that the dock on the iPhone is four apps. The dock on the iPad is like 12, right? Like that's completely different at that point. Yeah. Yeah, it's completely different. I have some of the apps on my first page of my home screen are the same. Most of them are not. Yeah, like I have uh, apps lots on some apps. devices that I don't like. I have apps on my iPhone. I don't have apps on, but don't have the same apps totally. on my iPad and vice versa, yeah. right? Like, I have the apps that I need on each device, um, and I will say that I set both of my iPads up practically identically. You know, I do it manually, and I try and keep those relatively the same. Like, for example, the. 12.9-inch iPad Pro, I think, can have one or two extra apps in the dock than the 11, but I mm. but I don't put that extra app in on the 12.9. Really small. Because it, really small. it would. It gets really small, but it would it would it would mess up my brain. I do put basically yeah. the the minimum minus one uh, in in there, and I also have I have a folder too where I have a bunch of little utilities mm. that I frequently use in multitasking. Um, I pop that in there too. Jim wants to know if Mike is still using Gboard. I am. Still use Gboard on my iPhone. Um, I'll tell you why. The, the two reasons, three reasons I use Gboard and continue to use it. One, emoji search. You can yep. search for emoji in Gboard. Two, swipe typing. I use swipe typing mm -hmm. an awful lot. Helps me use my phone with one hand. It's really awesome. Three, 
the uh, dictionary, the auto-predict, the auto-correction, that is better for me on Gboard for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I just find that it gives me better results. And two, I think that they use some Google search stuff. You know, So like if I type in Pokemon, the, the options right now come up to say, let's go. They're like the two things I can tap because... I think Google is a little bit aware of the zeitgeisty stuff that's happening, so they kind of tailor the the dictionary for that. It's what I believe is going on because I see this stuff happen quite a lot. Um, I will recommend, if you want to try Gboard on your iPhone, the, I don't use it on my iPad because the, the keyboard's not very good on the iPad. If you want to yep. try it on your, on your iPhone, you need to get rid of the other keyboard. You have to go all in so you're used to it so you understand all the limitations you understand that sometimes if when you have to enter passwords you won't get your autocorrect right it's going to give you the the regular keyboard you really need to understand it so you can really try it out so you add this keyboard and then when you go back into keyboard settings once you've added a second keyboard you can actually delete the say like uh united kingdom or american english or whatever keyboard you can remove it apple standard keyboard can go um, and then you have just Gboard. So if you want to try it, I really recommend going all in on it for like a week. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. But it really works for me. I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. They've gotten way better at updating it as well, right? Like it, they, they have like the new emoji. When there's new emoji, they have it within a couple of days now. And it used to take a long time. But I think that team is is pretty focused. So they seem to get the updates out quick. Yep, I use it too. Uh, not all the time, but a lot of the time. I, I have both now. There were some really weird cases where the where Gboard was quitting and I was left with no keyboard. <laughs> so I it have totally both. happens. It crashes but sometimes. I do, but I do use it a lot. And there are moments where, for whatever reason, I'm getting very frustrated with typing out things where I will... I don't, I don't swipe type all the time, but mm-hmm. there are... I, I will go through periods where I do because I'm frustrated that you know, or I need to get something out really fast with lots of words in it. And the swipe typing is much better at that. Yeah. Like this is what I'm saying about like go all in. So you understand the frustrations. Sometimes the keyboard crashes, but there's a couple of things, right? So like all of the stuff with the quick type bar. So like the two factor authentication codes, the new password stuff in iOS 12, you still get all of that. Like that actually is like a separate thing. It still exists when you have a third party keyboard. So you don't lose out on that awesome functionality. So it's worth bearing in mind. Um, that's because, by the way, when you go into a password field, uh, iOS flips you out to the, the standard the keyboard. keyboard. Yeah. So you still get all those fun- that functionality, which is really great. Matthias asks, It's not really practical for me to use an iPad as a laptop replacement, in part because of the strict requirements of the App Store. Do you think Apple will ever let you install unverified apps on iOS? Do you think they need to? Uh, no and no. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. And I would I would actually rephrase this question... Um, I don't think that, I mean, unless you're saying it's not practical for me to use an iPad because I want to run BitTorrent and BitTorrent apps are banned from the app store or something like that. But like Apple's requirements, like, I don't think that that's a good enough excuse in most cases. I think that Apple has started, uh, you know, there's, they have opened up a lot in the app store and the stuff that is not allowed, you know, I will say this. That if there is a development tool for that runs on the iPad, that is going to enable people to do what they do now, which is, you know, do on the iPad running a custom build of something that you download from GitHub and you run it and it's just for you. Um, there'll be more of that. Perhaps you can do that now with 
downloading things for Xcode and then installing them on your device. There, there are ways, but not to distribute them more widely and, and more easily. And I agree with you, Mike. Um, it's never going to happen. Like uh, complete sideloading of iOS apps. Mm, no, I just don't think it's ever going to happen. Yeah, they're not going to do it. And I don't think they need to either. Right. Like, and, and I think, you know, the best, the best example of this is like th- what they've tried to do and kind of, I think, mostly failed um, on the Mac with like the sandboxing stuff. Like that was their attempt at trying to close up that system a little bit more by being able to offer the greatness of the Mac App Store. But turns out <laughs> just didn't work really. Well, what, and what they're trying to do now with the Mac App Store, I think, is is indicative of what they would do with the iOS App Store, which mm-hmm. is if there's a need, they will find ways yep. to, rather than just let you sideload, they're going to find ways to create entitlements for apps that are get that, that grant them more access, and that entitlement has to be improved. Like yep. the, the the best example that doesn't come, people who argue this don't talk about is CarPlay, where like. You can't just write a CarPlay app. Apple has to actually approve specially your ability to access CarPlay. And they only do it for a very limited number of apps. There are not very many CarPlay apps. And one of the reasons that that is true is not because people aren't trying. It's because Apple won't let you. And so, you know, if it turns out there's a real need for a certain kind of access, Apple doesn't have to give that access to everybody. They can say this is a specific entitlement and only certain apps will be granted it. And every other app that tries to use it will be rejected. And I think more of that is more likely in the future across all of Apple's platforms, but including iOS, that if there's a need and developers are like, we can't make this whole class of apps because of this, um, I think Apple's going to be more open to the idea of uh, saying, all right, maybe there's a way for us to do that. What they're not going to do is say, sure, go ahead. They're going to say, we spent a year and built this whole structure for this particular entitlement, and now you can ask for it. Design Station asks, do you guys do a local backup of iTunes purchases like music, TV shows, and movies? It seems that with iTunes cloud integration, uh, it's no longer necessary. What are your thoughts on this? I don't do any local backups, period. No. I don't do a local backup of my device in any way. Oh, really? Certainly not for media, and I don't do local backups of the device. No, it's all in iCloud. I, I'm not interested in in using iTunes. The only thing I use iTunes for in relation to iOS these days is that I will use it to get to the file transfer stuff so I can mm-hmm. transfer across a wire uh, big audio files. But that's about it. I don't, I, I'm, otherwise it's in the cloud. That's it. So my thing is like, if I have something downloaded on my iMac, it will be backed up by Time Machine, I guess, but I don't download anything on my iMac. So like, no, like I no. I even treat my iTunes purchases as streaming purchases, right? Like, yes, if I buy an iTunes TV series, it very rarely is downloaded anywhere, right? Like, I'm just playing it right. whenever I want, unless it. I'm going on a trip or something. Exactly, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I understand like why people say this because I know that like weird rights changes which has happened can like remove files yeah. but like yeah but they're generally the, those stories go around and they're generally errors right yeah. the, the stories like, generally yeah. are, are, are turn out to be mistakes because if you buy something and then it goes off sale in the in the iTunes store whether it's an app or a piece of music or a uh, uh, a movie or a TV show generally you still get it people who bought it still get it it mm-hmm. stays on the servers you can still download it people new people can't buy it and when you hear those stories of like, oh, I bought this thing and then Apple just made it disappear and they didn't care, uh, that happened a few months ago and it turned out it was a mistake. Mm-hmm. It was a bug. It was not 
Apple trying to take your movie away that but you like, bought. But I, I imagine that even, let's say that, let's say that they did do it, right? Like there was something that got removed at some point. I don't think having a backup of it is going to help you. Right, because I don't know you if it's a DRM, it DRM check-in. Yes, yeah. If it's it's a DRM wrap backup, maybe. But I just I just don't think that this is no. no. Anyway, to answer the question, I'm not going to guarantee it 100 percent of the time. But I do not download no. media from Apple unless I'm going on a trip mm-hmm. and I want it on on my iPad on a plane. And yeah, I don't m- back most up certainly my, do my it as a backup. Right, like I just treat yeah. Apple's store as my backup right like i just well get it's that not content. even it's it's not even my backup it's yeah. my repository for, that's a, for that's the a media i buy from apple yeah, it, it's word. not you know my icloud backup is a backup <laughs> but my media stuff it's just that's where that stuff lives but like i will also just say for you know i try everything i can to not buy media now like i prefer to stream right like i don't buy music i stream my music um i only ever buy like tv shows and movies when they're not on a streaming service i pay for sure and they're the only types of media that I do buy now uh, because I just prefer to stream and I figure there's always going to be a streaming service around. And if the streaming service I use goes away, I'll just move to another one. Like, you know, I, I don't really think, especially music, you know, and, and for lots of lots of video content, I just don't really think of owning it anymore. Like, it's just not really how I think of it. Like, I pay what I consider to be a relatively small amount of money for the amount of new stuff that I consume. Like, if I bought everything that i consumed it would be a lot more money than my streaming bills cost me right like can you imagine yep. that like you know like if i if i listened if i play, paid for all the albums that i listen to these days i'd be paying a lot of money every month a lot more than my like ten dollars or whatever uh that i pay for um with apple music if you have a question that you would like to submit for a later episode, you can just send them in with the hashtag AskUpgrade. And thank you to everybody that has done that today. Um, we do have one more wonderful segment today, and that is going to be our discussion of the movie My Neighbor Totoro. But before we get to that, let me thank our final sponsor for today's show, and that is the fine folk over at Luna Display. Have you ever looked at your iPad and wished you could use it as a second display for your Mac? That's what Luna Display will let you do. Your iPad is a beautiful display. That's what it is. All iPad screens are wonderful. And everybody could always use some extra space when working on the Mac, especially if you're on a laptop, especially if you're traveling. Like Luna Display is a wonderful option for when you're traveling. It will provide you a crystal clear image with reliable performance and wireless flexibility. You just pop their wonderful dongle into your Mac and you're good to go. You Even if you have a Wi-Fi connection, great, you're good to go. You can use it but you can also connect with usb as well in places where you don't have that so whether you want to be more productive at your desk at the office in a studio or on the go it doesn't matter you can get more screen real estate without the expense of buying a new screen luna also acts as a complete extension to your mac it will support your external keyboard as well as apple pencil touch interactions and so much more if you want to know what it might be like to have a touchscreen macintosh luna display will give you that listeners of this show can get a wonderful 10% discount on Luna Display. Just go to lunadisplay.com and enter the promo code UPGRADE at checkout. That's L-U-N-A-D-I-S-P-L-A-Y.com and promo code UPGRADE at checkout. I say, listener of the show, Brent, sent in um, a video that he took showing him using the Luna Display the other day, which I thought was awesome, to airdrop a file from the Mac to to his iPad. It's like, oh, that's nice. 
right? Because you're able to do that mm-hmm. with the Lunar Display. I thought that was really, really cool. Our thanks to Lunar Display for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, My Neighbor Totoro. Totoro. So, why did you choose this movie for me, Jason? Uh, it is a beloved movie in my house and across the world. It is from the 80s, which is sort of what we try to stick with. with this our, movie uh, is as old as me, 1988. Yes. Um, it is, well, I just d- turned into dust and blew away. Um, <laughs> Goodbye! And although, the, as my daughter asked me, um, when, because uh, we usually watch the, uh, the dub version uh, rather than Japanese with English subtitles, the dub is from 2006. Right. Okay. So the movie is from 88, but it has actors in it that you're like, well, that person wasn't alive in 88, but the, the, the mainstream English dub version that's out there these days is from 2006. But the movie's from 88. I, I first saw it, I don't know, probably, yeah, 2008, 2010, 2012. It was not that long ago that I, so it seems more recent to me than it actually is. And I think for most Americans, that's probably true because I think our our understanding of uh, Hayao Miyazaki, the the uh, brilliant Japanese animation director, uh, in in America, his he he went mainstream a little bit later than you know he was a huge star in Japan. So um, as I like to do with these movies, I tell you what I knew and thought before. Mm-hmm. About my neighbor Totoro, I knew it was a beloved movie. I even wrote beloved movie, and you said beloved movie, which I think is funny. Um, I'm very familiar with the character of Totoro. You know, like I know the character. You've seen right? the Totoro around, S- yeah, seen sure. it. You know, as somebody who loves Pusheen, like Pusheen oh, yeah, and yeah, Totoro yeah. go together quite nicely. Yes, they're they're related, in color, sure. right? Um, I know the umbrella bus stop image very well, right? Like uh-huh. it's just like an iconic image. Um, so I asked a, like a question. Is Totoro an imaginary friend? That was my my thought going into the movie. Like, is Totoro an imaginary friend? Is that what mm. Totoro is? We'll find Interesting out. Interesting question. Um, and then also, just as a note, this is my first ever Miyazaki movie. I've never seen a Miyazaki movie before. Wow. Well, we're. So. I, I realize that that depending on how this goes, we may rapidly move on to Kiki's Delivery Service, but uh, <laughs> okay. which is actually my favorite Miyazaki movie. This is my probably second favorite. So I'm also sure the 80s. if if uh, there is a special guest host of next week's episode listening right now, they will be upset oh, no. at the fact that I watched the dubbed movie. I watched the. I'm sure. I'm sure that would yeah. upset that person. Um, I, I just there there are purists out there, and and it's true. If you want to get closest to the Japanese uh, spirit, because the dubs have to match the the sort of the mouth movement and what's on screen, and so they don't always impart all the same information that you would get in the translation of what the, they're saying in Japanese. And I get that at the same time for an animated movie. I do have this other feeling, which is it's all dubbed in in a way because the, there are, there are drawings yep. with yep. somebody's recorded voice underneath them, but I get it. I have watched it with the subs before, but I didn't watch it with the subs this time either. I, I watched the dub version. So the movie, I guess is focused around a young family uh, moving from Tokyo to the country um, because the mom of the family is sick and they never say what, but it's clearly something very bad. We'll talk yeah, about that I think, a little I bit more I assume tuberculosis, but okay. yeah. Okay. And that's um, your villain in the film, by the way. The, vil- the villain in the is film the is, the, is, yep. the, is the illness of the mom. There's no bad person in this no. at all. Um, and uh, so they, they're moving to the country because I guess it will be better for her um, once she hopefully gets better. 
And the movie is focused around the two girls, uh, Sutsuki and Mei. Now, mm-hmm. I had just assumed that Mei would be the main focus of the movie and like after the establishing part that um, Sutsuki would, would fade into the background, but that wasn't the case. Um, no, Satsuki's the the main character, and yeah. May is is just this uh, adorable little sister who does. Yeah, and, and that, I, I like that. It wasn't what I expected, but but I, but I enjoyed that. I will yeah. say this movie perfectly captures the relationship of a younger sibling, doesn't it? Doesn't I? I yes. as having I never had uh, close aged siblings, but having had two kids who were three years apart. Um, I laugh at that so much because it's so true. Like that just, there's a scene where they're going through the house and May just keeps basically doing exactly what Satsuki yep. already did. And repeating uh, everything. She, and ev- so repeating wonderful. everything she says and all of that. And, and she says, I'm going to go do this thing. And it's like, oh, can I come too? Like that's the little sister is just following yep. her around and, and I doing love everything she does. It's adorable. That the dub, the voices are Dakota and Elle Fanning. Like yeah, actual yeah. sisters, actual sisters, mm-hmm. which I really liked, and they did a great job. I, I thought that it was real; the, the, their performance was excellent. Um, like you could show me that movie, and I don't think I would have known it was dubbed. I guess the only giveaway would have been for me, which is a little bit interesting. You kind of, I kind of just had to put it to the back of my mind of like this is clearly Japan, and these are clearly American accents, right? Like I had to like just try and just forget that, and I was able to after the first couple of minutes. But like at first, it was a bit like. This is very Japanese, like what I'm seeing here, right? Like we're not even in a city, you know, like, um, but we'll, we'll just forget about that. But um, there were, you know, I I liked a lot of the little moments, right? Like the first time that they come into contact with the soot gremlins is really funny to me. You know, like the girls trying to be brave and, and like I, I enjoyed all of that stuff, like the way that they were clearly troublemakers, right? But were also scared at many points. And I really enjoyed just how much trouble those sisters would cause. Like, when they effectively nearly bring the whole house down <laughs> in the beginning, right? Where they're just pulling on that beam and everything's just starting to crumble around them. Like, I, I just, that was very funny. They're, like, the dad, had, he seems to have his work cut out for him a lot of the time. Yeah, but he's a cool dad, right? He, he is a he, cool like, because dude. Because they come in and they say, they say this is, uh, the, dad, the house is haunted. And he's like, great. I've always wanted to live in a haunted house. Yeah, right? I really like, like these characters. Lauren and I both were watching this and we're like, he's a good dad. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a very good dad. And like when they're all scared and he starts laughing, right? Like that, like it, when they're when they're bathing and he's just like starts laughing at the top of his voice, like get rid of the monsters and the ghosts that way. It was really cool. Um, I want to ask you something because it seemed mm-hmm. interesting to me. Um, and I couldn't quite work it out if I if it was a different thing to most movies or if I just wasn't noticing it so much. There are a lot of like panning shots with landscapes, mm-hmm. and it looked really different. Like it feels like a thing I don't see in animated movies a lot. I, I couldn't work out what it was, but it seemed like there was some interesting like camera moves going on that seemed to be refreshing in some way. Or am I like, is there something about that? I don't know about the camera moves. I will say that Miyazaki loves landscapes. Yes. He loves showing lush foliage. He loves clouds. I love the way water was shown. It's very, it was oh, very yeah. impressive. Yeah, there's that that thing where the little something little, like pops up out of the water, and there are, you watch the ripples, and then yeah. it just kind of moves on. He loves that stuff. It's incredibly detailed. It's beautiful. Most I would say most films, uh, animated films, do not 
lavish that much time and effort on the beauty of the surroundings but right. w- something that that is very clear in all of Miyazaki's movies but it's clear in this one is that he he does a lot of uh, stuff about the environment and about people uh, interacting with the environment and treating it badly and how we should treat it better there's a line in here about how this is you know uh, there was a lot of these things before we started cutting down all the trees or something like that that happens and and so you also he shows a lot of his imagery in his movies is kind of like uh look at this beautiful lush environment this is rural japan or this is japan as it used to be and and that's definitely a theme that he's trying to get his environmentalism he puts it into the the kind of beautiful scenery of the countryside and it's just it is beautiful every i put on this movie and the first thing i say is oh look at those clouds (laughs) they're great one thing that was striking to me was how much silence there is in this movie. It felt mm-hmm. very different to a regular animated movie. Not a lot of like of soundtrack, right? Like there's not a lot of music playing in the background in certain scenes. Like sometimes it's just silence. No one's even talking. And I was I think that struck me a little bit. It's like, huh, that's that's that feels different to most animated movies that I would see. Like tension being built by silence or there just being no music. Like there's just none. You know, and it's just like here is some peace, and it was like, huh, it just seemed very different to me. As and I, I think I kind of liked that a lot. Um, it didn't help my overall feeling of dread about what was going to happen to the mum. Like ah, right, I was very, very uh, nervous about uh, the what seemed inevitable death of the the mom in this family. One of the funny things about these Miyazaki movies is that we do bring our western anticipation of story structure onto the movie and something that I've learned uh, about okay. a, about Miyazaki movies is uh I keep looking so when I was first watching these movies I keep looking for a villain. I keep expecting a traditional linear plot and I keep expecting things that are dramatic that happen in movies like the mom dying in to the happen. Third act, right? And okay. and, yeah. and and they they don't. Like I said, who's the villain in this? Literally the villain in this movie is the illness that the mother has. There are no people who are antagonists in this film. Um, Kiki's Delivery Service, uh, which hopefully we'll watch sometime, the villain in that is the weather. Like, that's it. The wind. The wind is the enemy in that movie. There is no traditional antagonist. And so, yeah, you you kind of start expecting stuff that uh, the movie doesn't just refuses to deliver. It's not that kind of movie. And it, I mean, there were it was pretty heavy, right? Like they're talking about the mom dying, right? Like that's the thing sure. that happens when the and telegram when- comes. And when May goes missing later yeah. in the movie, they're like searching a pond to see if she drowned, right? Oh, God. The, and they find the, a shoe, the shoe and they're like, is this oh, her shoe? God. And she's like, mm, nope, that's not her shoe. I noticed this time that we see her put on her shoes earlier. So we know that's not her shoe. If but, you're paying um, attention. If only if you're paying attention. I only did it the 10th time I saw it. I was like, oh, yeah, right. That's that's actually setting us up there. Yep. All right. I feel like we haven't even mentioned Totoro yet. So, yes. um Totoro uh, does not sound the way I expected Totoro to sound. Totoro screams and shouts and growls and roars. I was not expecting that. Um, Honestly, I was expecting Totoro to have a voice. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't talk, right? But he's he's a uh, they they just make they just kind of make roars and and stuff. Yeah, like I I I think I was expecting Totoro to be like as cute as Totoro's appearance is, right? Where like. 
the sounds that Totoro makes are scary sounds. Um, yeah, yeah. Which, oh no, he he roars really yeah. loudly and everything shakes. Right? He's adorable, but the big Totoro. There is a small, medium, and large Totoro, of mm-hmm. course, but the big the big Totoro, the see through Totoro, which I initially thought was like a ghost. That that was like well, I was like aha, imaginary aren't friend. They, aren't they? I mean, they're they're like wood spirits. I mm-hmm. think so. So they can go through things, and they're not always there, and all of those sort of things. Yeah. Yeah, like so. Like I don't, I don't have a uh, feeling on like a theory of this movie. Really, like the imaginary friend thing seems obvious in some places, but then like there are parts that I don't have answers for. Like, how does Sutsuki <laughs> get to May? How do they get to uh-huh. the hospital? Right? Like, I don't have except for the horrifying cat bus. Not like that. Do not like the door. <laughs> On the cat bus. No, thank you. That I ooh, I didn't like that, Jason. That upset me. Um, I don't. I don't love it. I, I don't love it. I, I the sound effect makes me laugh because it's like a sci-fi oh. sound effect. It's like oh, it makes it even worse. Like, why is the cat yeah. making that noise? Did not like the cat bus. Thank you very right, much. That's fair. But no, I think I we had this discussion on the incomparable. People can listen to it. Episode one hundred and forty-four. Hanging with the totes. Um, it's a great episode. It's me and John Syracuse and Merlin Mann and yeah, I'm, Steve I'm Lutz. putting that in my list because now yeah. I can listen to it. Now I love that episode. It's a great episode. And we, uh, all of our, uh, Miyazaki episodes are great, but that's a great one. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we talked about it there. The fact is that, yeah, stuff happens in this movie that is not explained any other way. Like May leaves, they leave the corn on the windowsill at the hospital at the yep. end. Like they totally, it is real. So it's not an imaginary friend, although you could think that, but they are like magical tree spirits basically. Yeah. So it's like, I don't have a, an answer, right? Because like, if they would have just looked at the mom, that would have been one thing. And if they would have just shown the corn on the window, that would have been another, but it literally had a message from the girls on it, right? There's no, there's no way around that other than the fact that they were there like they were definitely there right so i found that all very interesting like i really like this movie a lot um i liked it more when it was done and when it was happening because nothing horrifying and upsetting happened right like that was my concern so like now no having seen this and having you said it to me like if other i i think i will approach other Miyazaki movies differently, right? Not thinking mm-hmm. that something like that there's not a villain or whatever and, and sometimes there is a villain but it's it because it, the structure structures are are just very different from what right, we expect but at least not necessarily expecting something yes that, you know and i think that that would make on future viewings i will probably enjoy this movie even more because i really like movies where there are no stakes sometimes like i like watching or like no like upsetting high stakes right like an overall thing that must be overcome i like watching nice movies where you just get to see like a slice of life type yes. thing. like well, i like and that's, that type that's, of stuff. that's one of the reasons that i love this movie and one of the reasons i love kiki's delivery service which has a little bit more of a plot but really not really and this this movie is completely i would say plot free and it is all about these little experiences and you can just sit there and enjoy it and it's and look at the scenery and i i love it that's i want to give this movie a big hug yeah, and I feel like it would hug you back, like you have a very, and then it like would. a very furry, warm. Although it might also say, yes. so much noise Totoro makes, <laughs> like so much noise. Um, but I, you know, I really loved all of the characters. Like I loved all of the characters in this. You know, Grandma is awesome. 
Like she's super nice. I, I did find it a bit harsh when like uh when the uh, they get the sandal and they're like that guy's like, Oh grandma <laughs> Like what does he say? Something like, Oh, she's making a mountain and now nothing again, like, oh she's overreacting. I was like, Alright, alright, like she's worried. I just found that kind of funny. Um What's the name of the little boy? Oh, uh what is his name? I don't know. I'm gonna find it now. That he he's really he's super funny. Uh, Kanta. With the sailor hat. Yeah, yeah. and he's grunts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Kanta. I can't tell you. I found him really funny. Well, and he's he's like super shy around yeah. Satsuki, but yeah. he's also very helpful and lends her his umbrella and all of that. And which, like yeah. is really focused on trying to help find May. Right. Like mm-hmm. this is a great movie, Jason. I'm I'm really really happy. I oh, saw I'm this. glad you liked it. I really really liked it. It makes me want to watch Kiki's Delivery Service. Ah uh, yes. So. Well, we have to do that. We have to do that. That's that is uh, that is great too. That is a very different looking movie, but um, I love that even more than this one. And this one is 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 delightful. Yeah, the Totoro, they are adorable. I believe the origin is uh, troll, and you see that in the dub where it's like, oh, like the trolls in your storybooks yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But it, but it says you know Totoro, but that, that's the idea is that it's just kind of like a little girl sort of mangling troll, um, and that's so it's not you know that's we call them Totoros, but they're just these little furry adorable spirits um that float around and are cute and yes and that scene let, let's just say it that scene at the bus stop before the cat bus gets, i get I, the cat bus is creepy but before that where uh suddenly he's there next to them mm-hmm. and then they and he's got the, the water is just very slowly dripping onto his nose from his little leaf hat and then they give him the umbrella and he doesn't really know how to use it and then he realizes that the drops are dropping onto it and making a loud noise, which he really likes the loud noise. Mm-hmm. And then he decides to jump and have all the water come out of the trees at once. It is a classic. I love that. It's a great I love scene. It all so much. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and obviously, is, like, that's, that's, that's like the part where, as well, like some of the understanding of what's going on starts to change because it's like, oh, uh, you you think it might be all in May's imagination, but now Satsuki sees it too. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. that's where it's like, oh, so what is going he, on here? And he takes the umbrella away with him yeah, <laughs> on the cat right? bus. So that's so, that. Yeah. What what does that mean? <laughs> yes. It's very, very good. Very, very good. Love this movie, Jason. Thank you for recommending it. Hey. That's so great. So we have more to watch now in the future. I want to see more of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're good. You've made Professor Syracuse a very happy as well. I don't know. I don't know how he's going to feel about the dubbing. That's okay. You know, in adva- more advanced, uh, he- he's going to treat you like one of his children. He's going to be like, oh, "That's okay. We'll we'll start you out easy." But uh, but yeah, it's a it's a classic, and and Miyazaki's movies are are great. But my two favorite are Totoro and uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. So they are just, I I I watch them and I say, "Oh, I I love more. I would love more movies like this that are just pleasant to be to to be around." Like just, it's just nice to to go on the little journey and be in that world for a little while. And when Japan held hosted uh, a World's Fair in 2005, they actually built the house that's in oh, this movie. Wow! And I had that thought while I was watching: is like, wouldn't it be great to walk around that house? And they built that house for for the World's Fair. It's amazing. That's awesome. That's really cool. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of uh, Upgrade. I hope that you have enjoyed it as much as we have enjoyed putting it together for you. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to uh, an article on Kotaku of the Totoro House. Um, 
Mm. It looks like it's something. Yeah, it was built in 2005. They built a full scale yep. replica, and it looks amazing. That looks super, <laughs> super cool. I think it's still something that you can maybe go and see. I don't know. I'll have to read up on that. That looks like that's super amazing. I love that. Um, if you want to submit questions, always uh, you can send in a hashtag Snell Talk for the opening of the show. Hashtag Ask Upgrade for the end of the show. Um, I'd like to thank our sponsors for this episode: Simple Contacts, Lunar Display, PDF Pen from Smile, and Hello for their support. Don't forget to go to UpgradeYourWardrobe.com. You have just until the 4th of December to buy our limited edition merchandise. Um, I'll be back in two weeks, but Jason will be back with a very special guest next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Toe! Toe!